Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Alice Denby, Deputy Editor of CapEx. We often think of ancient Rome as a world of military conquest, marble statues and capricious gods. A civilization whose splendour and eventual decline inspired painters and poets for more than 2,000 years. And a system of government which provided the model for Western democracy. But as businessman and historian George Mayer argues in his book Pugnare, the reasons for both the success and the ultimate failure of ancient Rome weren't just political or cultural, but economic. I sat down for a fascinating conversation with George, whose classical research, combined with his professional experience as an actuary, gives him a rare insight into the comparative workings of the ancient and modern worlds. We discussed the Romans' innovations in free trade, currency and banking, and why the lessons from the empire's downfall are still relevant today. George, welcome to the CapEx podcast. Um, delighted to have you here to talk about your book, Pugnare, economic success and failure. And I thought we might start slightly controversially by talking about the end, um, because I think this can tell us something about why the Romans are still relevant to us today. So the front cover of your book shows these naked barbarians tearing down an imperial statue, and that's the symbol of civilization, and this is the fall of Rome. And your book is how it was the economics that made Rome the civilization that it was, the greatest city of the ancient world, an empire stretching from Syria to North Africa all the way to Britain, and how mismanagement of the economy led to this eventual collapse. And that's a warning for our times, isn't it? Uh, it, it is, it is. Uh, I mean, when we look at uh, the Roman Empire, as you, uh, empire, as you say, we see it uh, covering a, a, vast, a vast expanse. We see a, a massive amount of uh, achievement there, a massive amount of beauty. And then we see it all gone. And it's always, I think, an important thing, you know, to make sure we learn from our predecessors. And for example, when you start out in a company for the first time, one of the things you and your, your fellow new recruits are doing is, is looking at uh, the boss and what he's doing. Is he, you know, how he manages a meeting superbly. And looking at another boss and how he's doing uh, things in a way that you never want to copy. So learning from our predecessors is you know, part of the key to success, I think. And so, forgetting what they do is uh, part of the key to failure. And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, we think of these ancient civilizations as very different to our own. Yeah. Um, but, it, but actually, it's uh, actually they're the same. These people were no uh, better or worse than us. Um, and, and it was 
it was their economic sophistication um, that made Rome. And your story really starts with Augustus, who comes to power as the first true Roman emperor in 27 AD. And this is kind of when the Rome, we see the Romans move from a great military power to a monetary power. Um, and tell us, about, tell us a bit about that. I, I think what you said uh, there is, at the beginning is, is absolutely you know, spot on. Um, pe- people don't change. You know, human nature has, hasn't changed uh, in the last 100,000 of years. I mean, uh, people live and love and die in, in the same way. Um, people uh, have successful and beautiful relationships in the same way and, and mess up relationships in the same way. And, and the, the fundamentals of life, the things that, the things that make us happy, you know, achievements, meaning, belonging, pleasure, um, have, haven't changed. Um, and you know, we all, we all uh, make uh, the best of the hands that we're dealt with. Uh, they did not inherit in, uh, the technology that we have inherited. They did not uh, inherit the achievements of the you know, great minds of the 19th century, like uh, Faraday and Maxwell, who, who basically brought together um, electricity and magnetism to make motorism, all that. Um, life, life, um, life really doesn't, doesn't change as much as people uh, think it, it does. Um, you, you are absolutely right also to say that the huge achievement of uh, that society was its movement from a conquest model to a trading model. And, and often we hear more about the first and nothing about the second. And it was the second bit, the trade, you know, that led Gibbons to say that the second century AD was the finest time ever to be alive. And you know, even in comparison to our own times, that is probably still true. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've seen things uh, in, in business um, that I'm reminded of when I uh, look at this transition from a, a conquest model to a trading model uh, that, that are similar and you know, that, that for me have been hugely inspiring. Uh, I have uh, done quite a bit of work in, in South Africa, um, evaluating the potential for riots and things like that. And to see the way that society transformed itself from an apartheid exclusionary model uh, to something which was um, very inclusive and um, liberal beyond most countries in the world. I mean, the respect for human rights there is just amazing. I mean, and, and to see how much of that uh, related to one man, um, and without him, maybe it wouldn't have happened. So. It, but it wasn't just the one man, it was the people around him and in the country. Um, uh, I, with, with, with colleagues, uh, did a lot of work for Lloyds of London, when Lloyds of London uh, was uh, at the verge of collapse. This was when I was starting out my career in, in, in London. And this was an icon of uh, the British establishment, uh, established in the 17th century, its unique traditions of unlimited liability, uh, the oldest newspaper in the world, an iconic building, um, and because of mistakes they had made, it was at, at risk of implosion, and that would have um, you know, devastated uh, uh, the London insurance market, which is premier in the world. 
and you know, I'm just a bag carrier, you know, doing, you know, doing what the, what the boss tells and building models to uh, evaluate future claims from the U.S. on asbestos and pollution. And what I'm noticing as I'm as I'm going around, around sitting in these meetings is the will, in the generality of the people, that this will survive, uh, and they dumped everything so that they would survive. So their unlimited liability, an inherent part of their tradition and identity, goes. Sell the newspaper, sell the building, lease it back, um, let in people who were previously not let in before, corporates rather than wealthy individuals, let in people from outside the country in a way they weren't let in before. And it's just that will of an organization of, of, to survive. That just so deeply impressed me. And you see that when you look through you know, what has survived in the literature and all the rest of uh, the Roman Empire, you see exactly that, that, tra that transition. You see exactly that will to survive and to keep the good that we've known for generations continuing on. So they had, they had a conquest model. And in a conquest model, uh, you get rich uh, by going out and conquering. So there's a career structure for you. And you can become, in our terms, a, a billionaire. There's massive cruelty in it. You will that the people in the country you you invade and whatever, you can enslave them. Once you've settled it and that are now following your your rules, you can no longer enslave them. That's a one-off one-off opportunity, a one-off opportunity to create untold misery, um, to uh, cause a mother to see her son and daughter for the last time. It, the it's unspeakable cruelty, um, but it brings um, untold wealth. I mean, Caesar uh, enslaved a million people in Gaul. And if you value um, the, the labor of a slave at uh, you know, 20,000, uh, that's 20 billion. Um, but that, those opportunities were, were running out um, because they could only go so far. And the genius was then to say, we will stop people being greedy like that. We will spread the wealth more. We will make money not by conquest, we will make money by competing amongst each other in trade. And that was transformative. And these two things are fundamentally linked though, aren't they? Because we talk about the, it was the standardization of the currency. That's right. Yes, yes. You're, you're, abs you're absolutely right. Um, uh, if you wanted to trade uh, across uh, across the Mediterranean, you, you, you need to have a currency that's trusted across a wide area. You, know, you can't you know, have one sort of currency in, in one uh, one village and another currency in, in a, that town over there. You need to have a common currency, um, and, and that, that they constructed. And the other thing which is worth saying is that if you want to have this trading empire, you need to have people who can you know, specialize in manufacturing, you know, fine glass, you know, fine pottery, um, and, and all the rest. You need them to be living in big cities. And for people to live in big cities, they need to have, they need, there needs to be a money system. Um, you know, there's nothing that you or I have to barter with each other, but we can exchange, we can exchange money. And uh, they built um, cities, some of which um, were of a size not equal until the late 18th century. And that all rested on the currency. And as, as you say, um, part of what helped them uh, do the work of genius of standardizing it was they uh, paid their soldiers. And their, their soldiers, when they went into the marketplace, expected you know, to 
have the silver coins exchanged with the gold coins at the rate that Augustus said. And how did this economic system interact with the political system in Rome? You know, they had a very sophisticated democracy with a Senate, uh, you know, copied uh, by, by later uh, democracies. How did these two things relate? They were able to raise taxes for public works. Mm, mm, mm. I, th- I think I think that's that's that, that's key, as 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 you say. Um, they 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 are so closely related. I mean, it's 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 a marriage. There there you 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 can't you can't talk about an economy without talking uh, about the politics. Um, when you when you talk when you compare the Soviet Union to the United States, you know, whatever it was, thirty or forty years ago, are you comparing two economies or two political systems? And so I, I think what you say is is, is just um, just spot on. Um, for a long time, and this was one of the things they preserved in um, through the transition. For a long time, they had had a superb relationship between uh, the private sector and the public sector. So the way they built um, buildings very quickly, was uh, the Senate, which had the money, um, put projects out to tender. And private individuals then built that temple, built that aqueduct um, or whatever, um, under contract, as now, selected through competition, as now, monitored by state officials, as now. Um, And they did it um, hugely successfully. And and the success there comes not from technology, but from how people organise themselves. And uh, you know, they 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 had, while they were successful, while they were growing and spreading their prosperity, they they had this down to a T. One of the things that I really liked about your book was all the parallels you draw between the Roman world and the modern day, and and this economic system they had allowed them to have these flourishing cities, which actually, you know, would be reasonably familiar to a modern day person. You know, you could trade from all over the world, you buy products from anywhere. Um, you had. Um, artists and manufacturers specialising in the most, you know, the tiniest things. Just just paint us a bit of a picture of what Rome's economic and trading system made its cities feel like. What does it make it feel like? That's a very good question. I think, I think it must have been one of the most wonderful times to have been alive um, after the transition. Um, the city of Rome, you know, had been let fall into disrepair. Um, they're emerging from a time of conflict, internal conflict. They're emerging uh, from a time of fear, when the the dominant thing that the sensible person had, the dominant objective, is to survive. Just I want to protect my life and the lives of those who, whom I love, and I want to protect my property. It's a movement from that turmoil to vigour and creativity and transformation. So as you walked the city, you saw building uh, happening everywhere. You saw the old being restored, you saw the new being introduced. And, and part of the genius of Augustus and part of the genius of those who are influencing events, the real genius um, was to say, success isn't just money. Um, if you think if you if, if you make money your success you failed, um, it became a time of artistic creativity. They wrote poetry um, and encouraged it and valued it. Uh, they wrote histories, um, which which have survived to now, um, which you know 
many, many, many centuries after their economic system collapsed, was informing Shakespeare, giving him models. Um, the son of a freed, uh, a freed slave, Horace, wrote, wrote, wrote poetry that you can find the influence of in Shakespeare's sonnets. Um, you know, that, 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 that was, I mean, what you believe about yourself, you know, determines what you do. And what a, what a nation or what a country believes about itself uh, determines what it does. And the beliefs that they were ex expressing was, we have come from something, we are going somewhere, people will remember what we did. We will be inclusive. We will, we will not reject the, the stranger. They are part of what fuels, fuels, fuels our growth. Um, this man, he's only the son of a former slave, he is a superb poet. He is as valuable as any of the others. It, it was that, I think. An exciting time to, to live in those cities, of renewal of better stuff. And you also had, I mean, we think of things like um, trade specialization as a kind of feature of globalization, yes. but you had these incredibly specialized artisans. There's a guy in your book who only makes the eyes for statues. Yes. Um, and you couldn't have someone do only that unless you had in tremendous demand for statues yeah um so i really liked that detail um another parallel another economic parallel in your book is um the financial crisis of 33 a.d which is actually sure. remarkably similar to what happened in 2008 um isn't it yeah I, 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 absolutely absolutely what what uh, the, the the system the system depended um on a banking system um and down, down in the Strand, there is a bank. Um, it's, it's called Horan Company. It's a, a private partnership, um, unlimited liability of the partners, who are a very old, established English family. Um, it's been around since the 17th uh, century. I think the customers are, tend to be rather grand. Um, I don't have an account there. Um, and that form of bank uh, was, was what they had. Uh, so if, if, if uh, Cicero is selling an estate, which in our terms is, is worth £10 million, pounds, uh, he's not doing it by you know, having carts lo loads of gold coins moved down. It's a, a transfer through the, bank, through the banking system. And what happened in AD uh, 33 uh, was uh, that uh, banking system uh, was, was in crisis. There was a... Uh, there was turmoil in the property market, just as there is in, in China at the moment. Uh, the crisis was caused uh, by extreme austerity being uh, practiced by uh, the then head of state, the Emperor Tiberius. Um, and like the crisis of 2008-2009, it was only solved when the central authorities uh, injected uh, a massive amount something short of uh, a billion in our terms, into the banking system um, in interest-free loans. So um, very, very, similar, very, very similar to what happened back then. Uh, we depend on a, on a functioning banking system. You can uh, destroy that by um, mismanagement. And if you do, you absolutely have to rescue it. Otherwise, your infrastructure is gone. And there was a bank bailout, wasn't there? Yes, exactly, exactly. And, and they did that through um, interest-free uh, interest loans. So the government had been resisting 
and, 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 they, and they just bailed out, uh, they bailed out the, uh, the banks. And then we had another sort of hundred odd years of a flourishing trading empire exactly. until things start to go wrong. And I think, I think from the way I read your book anyway, that it started to go wrong from a combination of um, political problems, yep. some dodgy individuals yep. and some economic complacency. But um, let's start with the sort of, um, well, where do you think it started to go wrong? I... I think I think that word you use there, Alice, uh, complacency. I, I I think that's that, that's just mega. I mean that that I, I think that that summarizes it. Now what what I what I do is I, I lay out as a story um, the, the the various things that that are happening. You know, it's, it's a narrative. It's a story. It's, it's not it's not a it's not a lecture. And there are lots of things that. Uh, you know, may have contributed to the collapse, but I think the fundamental is complacency, as as you say. There had been a system that had been, you know, flourishing now for two hundred years. It was something that had been around, you know, not just in in my time or my parents' time or my grandparents' time, but since time immemorial. And then what happens is people just say, "Well, that's the way it is. We don't need to worry. That's the way it is." You know, we have a currency in 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 this country which. Uh, has been established over hard work and superb intelligence uh, over 200 years. People kind of think, well, that's the way it is. Well, that's the way it is if you're not complacent and you make complacent and make sure you look out, out for the things that need looking out for. Um, but you, know, you can destroy it if you're complacent. Complacency, I think, Alice, I agree with you. But I think there are particular individuals who contribute to this downfall as well. So, mm. I mean, Commodus is a character people might know from the film Gladiator. Mm, 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 um, but mm. he uh, disastrously undermines the political system. Can you mm. tell us a bit about, about him? Well, I, I think um, it, it would have been a great fun to be around. And I think it would have been great fun to, um, to, to watch him perform. Uh, but uh, he, he had no experience. Uh, he, he was just totally the wrong person. Um, Marcus Aurelius, you know, gets gets very, very, very good press, um, and I, I don't think he deserves quite as much as he as he gets because he made a change. On, until him, for the previous hundred years, the successor to the emperor had been selected, so he, he people knew who he was going to be, and he wasn't he wasn't the biological offspring of uh, the previous one. He was an adopted son. But he was someone that people decided we will have him when the current one dies, uh, because he thinks we think he will look after the, the system. Um, I think uh, if Marcus Aurelius had allowed that to continue, and we had not had, uh, uh, they had not had Commodus, things would have been better. Um, you know, when you get on a plane, you know, to fly from here to Ibiza or, or wherever. Uh, you just really want to make sure that, that you, you don't have to check it because people do, that the man who's going to fly the plane knows how to do it. Um, and so with all uh, you know, due respect to yourself, uh, when I next get to the plane, I hope you're not flying the plane. And, and, and I also hope that they're not asking me to fly the plane. He was just totally the wrong man for the job. He did not, he did not understand. He did not understand. And I, it, it's just amazing. You, if you, uh, people argue about this politician, that politician, all the rest, and you know some people like some people and some people like other people. Any time I look at this, I just think you know 
does the you know does that person actually understand how this thing works um, and if, if they don't then that's a problem they need to understand and he would do things like instead of wearing his toga at the senate he would dress as hercules and he sort of made fun of the whole institution um making no institution should be allowed to be complacent no institution of any importance should be unaccountable but to mock uh, the, the institutions that underpin your life, livelihood and safety is, is very bad in a leader. It's okay if we have comedians doing it and probably very helpful, but not, not if the leader's doing it. And as, as you say, Alice, I mean, that, that would have been fun to watch, <laughs> uh, but not fun to look back on 30 years later. And as well as some of these political mistakes, there were economic policy changes that... Mm you argue, precipitated the downfall, particularly, I think, a rise in sort of protectionist policies. Mm. Um, you talk about a new law uh, insisting that a son had to follow their father's profession, there became limits on free movement, mm. there was this contraction, mm. um, and, and this began to make the, the empire poorer. Can you tell us a bit more about, about that? Uh, that's, that's, that's right. Um, so the, the son had to follow his father's, father's profession. Um, but maybe the son was you know, no good as a butcher. Or maybe, actually, the son's real talent was in poetry. Or maybe the son's real talent was in, um, was in trade, you know, in wheeler dealing and wanting to just get it from A to B and things like that. So once you, once you do that, once you restrict um, people and restrict their freedom to you know pursue what is good for them you're also um, forcing your good assets to do things that they're not good at and and that that devalues your talent that devalues your um, opportunities to grow to flourish you know that'd be like forcing me to be a pilot you know <laughs> you know that's not going to be good for 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 um, travel tourism so if, if, um, and that restriction um, that they introduced um, towards the end of the third century, I mean, continued uh, in Europe uh, right into the Middle Ages and beyond. And you only see uh, emerging economic growth in countries such as um, England and, um, uh, as that is uh, um, freed up and people can do what they're best suited to do. I think that's an incredible lesson from the history of the Roman Empire that what you need for a civilization to succeed is strong political institutions and open trading and economic policies. And when they go wrong, so does your civilization. Uh, yes, yes. And you need, you need also to have a, 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 a good, good sense of who you are and what you're about. You, need to have, you really do need to have uh, values that are admirable. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Roman Empire has held such a sway over the imagination of, you know, from Petrarch to Piranesi to Percy Shelley. Um, it's because it's such a kind of parable about human fragility. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. It's, uh, it, as you so beautifully put it, it's a parable about human fragility, which is, which is, part, of, which is part of us, part of our story. I think that sounds like a great place to end. Thank you so much, George. This has been fascinating. No, it's, it's, been, it's been a great pleasure.